Good morning, Access. I'm Garth Bollander. I'm the superintendent of the Mid-South Conference, and I have the privilege of joining you for worship today and also joining uh, the team to talk about Amazing Grace, the uh, gifts of worship that God has given to his people. I have the privilege today of talking about uh, the Lord's Supper, but before I we jump into the text, Luke chapter 22, just want to say a word of gratitude to Access. You're such an amazing church. You've got such an amazing uh, pastoral team. Uh, just so grateful for Ted and John and uh, Grace and the rest of the team. Um, you have become a leadership church in your community, uh, in our conference, and in our denomination. So just thanks so much for your faithful ministry. And um, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper this morning. You know, sometimes we use the word Lord's Supper. Sometimes we use the word Lord's Table. Sometimes we use the word Communion. Sometimes we use the word Eucharist. I love that word. It means joyful thanksgiving. And it's interesting that in the Bible, uh, this particular story uh, of the Last Supper, sometimes called that, uh, is actually in all four Gospels. It's Matthew 26, it's Mark 14, it's Luke 22, and it is John, actually John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. So uh, let's jump in. We're going to ask the question, why was the Last Supper important to Jesus, and why is the Lord's Supper important for us? So Luke chapter 22, uh, the story begins actually in a context of betrayal and intrigue and danger. It's, if this were a movie, the, the music would be coming up and uh, the darkness would come and we'd be know that something ominous was about to happen. It says that, uh, this is Luke 22, uh, verse 1, now the feast of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. You've got politics, you've got religion, you've got greed. You remember Judas came under the inner circle of Jesus on his discipleship team, and he betrayed Jesus. He set it up. He was going to get paid. Maybe he thought he was doing something smart. Maybe he was evil. It's actually that Satan was behind it all. Regardless of that, so just think about the context of betrayal. Uh, probably some of us who are watching even this morning or participating, uh, we know what betrayal is. We know what it's like to have those that we were trusting uh, betray us, despise us, use us, hurt us. So this context of betrayal is how the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, unfolds. Why was it important for Jesus? Why is it important for us? Let's use the word table, and we'll talk about three aspects of this Lord's table. First of all, the Lord's table is a table of remembrance. It says in chapter 22 of Luke, verse 7, Then came the day of the unleavened bread. So the story is set up again on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? And then they go on, this amazing story. Jesus said, well, there's a guy walking down the street with carrying some water and he goes to uh, another place and there's a room and it's all set. How 
it's just a kind of a cool story of uh, Jesus setting it up. Why was that important for Jesus? Well, the Passover was a holy ritual. The Passover actually began in 1446 BC, almost 1500 years before Jesus was on this earth. And so you just think about it, um, this remarkable story in Exodus chapter 12, where God delivered the nation of Israel after 400 and more than four centuries of bondage and servant and slavery. And he set them free in that magnificent story of the Exodus. And on the night of the last night of the plague, you know, when the angel of death came to uh, destroy the firstborn of all the people of Egypt, uh, God said, uh, put on your door the blood of a, a newborn uh, sacrifice lamb on the top and on the sides, that beautiful image of the cross. And, and uh, you remember that beautiful phrase, when I see the blood, uh, I will pass over. And so God said, you want to you remember this for generation to generation to generation. Uh, so this is a ritual. Rituals are amazing things. We don't maybe talk about rituals enough in our um, more you know, evangelical or uh, Protestant tradition, but rituals are powerful. You, you read any kind of literature on performance, uh, whether it's athletics or musician or artists, or, um, and what you find out is that high performers have amazing rituals. They, uh, what they do is rituals create space. They create regulation. They create mental regulation. They create emotional regulation. They create spiritual regulation, even physical regulation. You watch a tennis player after he's uh, he or she is done with a volley. What do they do? They go to their uh, racket and they're doing this. And, and most of us are thinking, well, they're fixing the strings. No, they're not. They're forgetting that last volley and they're setting themselves up for the next one. This is a ritual. This is being tethered. This has gone on. Today, you can go, you have uh, Jewish friends who every year will celebrate the Passover, just like Jesus did, just like uh, he did with his disciples. It was important to Jesus, this ritual of remembrance of God's deliverance. So the Lord's table is a table of remembrance. Remember, when we remember, we go back and experience in our minds and with our emotions what something that happened before. But it's also not just a table of remembrance, it's a table of roots. That is, we're remembering not just an interesting story, we're remembering something that actually happened. These are historical roots. They go back to uh, the story of the Exodus. They walk through the, the events of that first Passover. I'm in, in my backyard here, and you can see right over here that is this uh, tree, uh, these crepe myrtle trees. And, um, you know, you all are no strangers down in Houston to natural disasters. We had one up here uh, last fall where we had a tornado rip through. It ripped everything down, roof off, fence down, uh, trees down everywhere. But you know what? These crepe myrtles uh, did not 
weren't destroyed. They bent, but they came back. Why? Because of the roots that were so deep and so resilient. And so it's helpful for us to remember that when we think about the Lord's table, it's both, uh, a t it's a table of remembrance. It's a table where we uh, do a ritual that is meaningful and powerful, but it's also a, a table of remembrance where we are reconnecting with our spiritual roots, the roots of God's deliverance, the roots of God's greatness. We, we look up to God in this season of remembrance, and we look back to uh, where he has led us and what he has done. Well, the Lord's table in this account uh, is not just a table of remembrance. It's also a table of welcome. If you pick the story up uh, after it says they found things just as Jesus had told them. And they so they prepared the Passover. And then in verse 14 of Luke 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, and I, these words are so amazing. Only Luke records this, but they are so powerful. Jesus said, and you remember who he's with. He's with his disciples. He's with his closest companions. But they're all like us. And this may be a harsh word, but they're all losers, just like we are. Lots of potential, lots of promise, lots of gifts. But on their own, do we earn God's favor? Do we earn God's great, um, you know, attaboy because we're so good? No, we're sinners at the core, the Bible says. We've sinned against God in word and in thought and deed. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so here's Jesus looking around at his, at his disciples. He knows what's going to happen. He knows them better than they know themselves. He knows there's a betrayer. He knows there's a denier. He knows they're all going to scatter. He knows what's in, so, in store. And this is what he says. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What an amazing revealing of the heart of of Christ, that in the company of losers, around the table of betrayers and deniers, he says to them, I just have not been able to wait to be with you guys. You know, when uh, you, you know this as parents, and maybe if they had older parents who have gone, or older kids who have gone away to school, I remember what we used to do. Our, our girls were away at college and uh, they were coming home for the holidays, and we went crazy. I mean, we fixed the house up. I we would wait and wait and wait. And if they were getting home late, we would stay up. All the lights were on. The whole neighborhood's asleep. Our house is alive. Why? Because we wanted to welcome home those we loved. Just imagine what, if that's true today. Can you imagine that right now, in just a few minutes, at the Lord's table, even in this unusual situation, where we're all shuttered in place, Jesus is saying to you, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. I know you, I love you, and I wanna eat this meal, this symbol of intimate fellowship together. So 
the Lord's table is a table of welcome. It's a table of incredible friendship. We look around. We look around. And by the way, you know how the welcome of God, how the the, the friendship of God is is experienced? It, it comes from God for us, but it comes from God through us to others. Because we experience the welcome of Jesus in community. That's why the Lord's Supper is meant to be shared together. Uh, it's not just individualistic. It's we, not me. And we all have stories of how we have experienced the welcome of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the hospitality of Jesus. Not in some sort of you know cerebral or spiritual, mystical, supernatural way, but because a friend reached out to us in our time of need, in our time of loneliness, and welcomed us in. And you can do that, Access. You're a powerful community. Uh, you've demonstrated that. Who have you experienced the welcome of Christ from? Who have you experienced the welcome of Christ to? The table of welcome is not only a table of friendship, it's a table of forgiveness. Because it says, after taking the cup, Jesus, and this is the ritual of the Passover meal, he gave thanks. And uh, then he said in verse 19, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Now, what Matthew says is that he adds these words, that this is cup is the new covenant in my blood given for the forgiveness of your sins. At the Lord's table, we not only look around at our friends, we look within at ourselves. We examine our lives. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11, about examining our lives. This is not just some happy-go-lucky meal. This is deep spiritual reflection, moral reflection. If I'm at the table with Jesus, and, and I know access uh, in your groups, you sometimes ask this question, how is it with your soul? And if you're at the table with Jesus, you're at that table with the disciples, and Jesus is going around, and uh, he comes to you and he says, how is it with your soul? That's part of what the Lord's table is all about. It's acknowledging how broken we are, acknowledging those hidden sins, acknowledging that we are like Judas, we are like Peter, we are betrayers, we are deniers of people, even of the Lord himself. You know, um, right here, I've got this uh, piece of bark these great myrtle trees a year ago before the the uh, tornado actually uh, Dixie came to me one day she goes I, she said I think our trees are sick I said no they're fine and I came out and I looked and they were sick she was right that they were oozing black pus they were everything was dark there was white stuff all over I'm I'm trying to fix it I'm trying to scrub it off I'm trying to do what I can do and eventually took it to a um, you know, a landscaping place and lawn and garden place. And they said, you've got scale and, and you can't get rid of it. 
You've got to try to scrape it off, but you're going to have this forever. So I tried and tried and tried and tried, and eventually it got so bad that we called uh, an arborist to come in. And uh, he said, I think we can fix this. He said, I think we need to, to uh, boost the immune system of the tree to systemically go in and boost the immune system of the tree so that the tree can fight off the infection. And so they treated it last year. Uh, this year, I'm thinking everything's going to be cool. It was bad again. It was just uh, started out, the, tree, the, the flowers or the leaves came, some of the flowers came. I had him come back because I said, man, this, this is not good. He goes, well, let me look. And he said, no, it's going to be okay. He said, what's going to happen is that eventually the bark's going to come off and uh, the disease is gone and the new bark will come through. And that's exactly what's happened. You can't see closely, but I mean, it's just peeling off like crazy. You can see it right here, peeling, peeling, peeling all here. Isn't that the way forgiveness happens? Uh, we're changed from the inside out. We've got all kinds of scales on us. Some we can see, some are hidden. But when we eat the bread and drink the cup, it's not magic food, but this, the optics of it, the symbolism of it are so powerful because it's like it goes in us and it boosts our immune system. It cleanses us. It heals us. And the, the bark can fall away. The, the, the accumulated bark, some, for some of us, maybe years and years and years that are more ugly than we even know. Other people can see it, maybe we can't, but it goes away, it falls off, and what comes out is this beautiful, beautiful um, design the way God intended. The, the Lord's table is a table of, of, of remembrance. It's a table of welcome. And finally, the Lord's table is a table of preparation. It says in verse 21, just after Jesus said, uh, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you. But then he says, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves, which of them it also might be. And then a dispute arose them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I when you read sometimes the, the gospel through the eyes of comedy and you say, were the disciples like the Keystone Cops? I mean, what is this? They have this profound, meaningful, Jesus just talked about how much he loved them, how much he wanted to be with them, this sacred meal, uh, pouring out his heart about friendship. John said, you know, in his account that he washed their feet in this evening, in this upper room. And now they're, number one, Jesus knew that one of them was going to betray him. And they're kind of saying, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And then Jesus, then they start talking about, you know, who does Jesus like the best? Who, who do you think of us should be the leader? Who, who should be in the right or the left hand? Who's the greatest? And Jesus goes on and he says, you know, um, that's the way the world thinks. Who's going to be the boss? He says, the greatest of you is going to be among those who serve. And, and, and the highest is actually going to be those who take the lowest position. The Lord's table is really a time to recalibrate our lives. It's, it's preparation because when we're done with the meal, where do we go? We can squabble and get all caught up in our own personal uh, petty uh, preferences and demands and meet my needs. 
or we can realize that what follows the Lord's table, like we see here, is uh, it's going to be difficult. I mean, Jesus had to deal with internal strife right at the table. And then it says they went out and they went, you know, to the Mount of Olives, went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was brokenhearted, pouring out his heart to the living God, to his Father, desiring the cup to be taken from him. And then uh, there came Judas, there came the destroyers with him, took him to um, the high priest, eventually Pilate, eventually the cross. You know the story. But uh, when, when Paul is reflecting on this, that the Lord's table is really a table of remembrance, that it's a, it's a table of welcome, it's a table of preparation to prepare us for what is coming. Uh, when he talks about it, he says every time in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again, until I come again. Every time we eat the Lord's table, we're at the Lord's table. We're not only preparing ourselves for the difficulties and dangers that the rest of our lives are gonna experience from this time forward, but we're also acknowledging that one day, the ruling, reigning, living Lord Jesus Christ, who took the Lord's Supper and the Passover, the table of remembrance, the table of welcome, the table of preparation with his disciples. Uh, one day he's going to come back. He's right now ruling over all things, even in the midst of the difficulties of natural disasters and personal uh, difficulties and disappointments and betrayals and global pandemics. The Lord Jesus is ruling right now. He is right. Uh, the earth's historical timetable is right on time. And one day he's coming back. And it, it's sooner now than it was when he first promised it. Several years ago, like um, many, many years ago, uh, when we were living in Connecticut uh, as a pastoring a church in rural Connecticut, Dixie and I, I went to a covenant pastor's retreat. And uh, it was in uh, New York State. And during the part of a free time, we went down to New York City to walk around, see things and it was really cold. It was the winter, uh, but one of the things we did was we did go to the twin twin towers, and that's a whole other story. But uh, we went to the Church of Saint John the Divine, or the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine. It's a it's a it's a magnificent uh, Episcopal church uh, in Manhattan. And you go inside, and it's just it's breathtaking. And of course, the thing about cathedrals, it's like they're never done. They keep working on them forever and ever. That's the great thing about a cathedral. And we're walking up to the front, this huge, beautiful transept area, and there's the uh, communion table. It's it's big, it's vast. This is a sacramental denomination, of course. It was very prominent. And all of a sudden, we look at it, and I see something I've never seen before. Underneath the communion table was someone sleeping. It was like maybe what, Tuesday morning? And there's someone sleeping underneath the communion table. It was a disconnect, kind of like that dog barking that you hear in the background. Such a disconnect. And I'm thinking, my first thought was, wow, that is so wrong. 
That is so off. I wonder if anybody sees it. And then I realized that up in the front, there were a number of people sleeping. And they were homeless people. And it was freezing outside. And this was a place of refuge. And then I had this thought. Is there any place in the entire world safer than being under the Lord's table? This amazing table of remembrance. This amazing table of welcome. This amazing table of preparation. Because the Lord's table is a symbol of the cross, which goes all the way back to Passover and the blood on the door. And that's where God first delivered Israel, and it's at the cross where Jesus delivers you and me. So let's, at this Lord's table, uh, on this unusual communion Sunday, Let's remember. Let's be welcomed and express welcome. And let's be prepared for what God has in store. Thank you, Access, for uh, the privilege of sharing with you this morning. God bless you, and we'll see you shortly. Take care. Garth, thank you so much for giving us the message today. We really appreciate the time and the effort that you spent to be with us. Um, there's a little special message for all of you at Access. I just want to let you know that this weekend, Garth and his wife Dixie are actually celebrating their 50th anniversary. So uh, in the chat box, if you're able, uh, leave uh, Garth and Dixie a happy 50th on your way out. Now, as I said before, we're going to be transitioning over to our online communion. Um, so follow the links. Some of you will have that in your inboxes, your email inboxes. We'll also post it in the chat. And now let's say our Sunday prayer. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them, May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.